We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come. I'm just so excited about all of the things that God is doing at our church, and it's incredible to see um, ministry like that and and decisions like that being made, particularly in our our youth group, and I'm so proud of Pastor Tina and her team, and if you are looking for a place to get involved uh, further into the life of our church and you truly want to make a difference in some hearts and lives, I can't think of a better place than our next-gen ministry, so if that's something that the Lord is placing on your heart and something that you might be interested in, um, I'd love for you to just stop by the Next Steps tent on your way out after the service today and let somebody know, hey, I'm interested in serving um, with our Next Gen ministry, and uh, we'll point you in the right direction, get you connected with Pastor Tina and others on the team, and we can make that happen for you. Uh, That would be awesome. So um, if you've got your Bibles or a smart device, I want to invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. Uh, We're going to, it's going to be a little bit, but we'll eventually land there um, toward the the end of today's message. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 there in the New Testament. Uh, I want to thank everybody for um, all the the kind words and the emails and the cards and the, just everything that you um, have done to uh, support and to care for my family um, over these past couple weeks um, with the loss of my grandmother. And uh, you, you guys have been so sweet to us. And the flower arrangement that the church sent um, to the funeral home was incredible. Um, and there was even a piece of it that uh, it was a, a lead crystal cross that I got to keep Um, as a keepsake that came off of that. And so uh, right next to my grandfather's ordination certificate that is in uh, my office is now the cross that was part of the uh, flower arrangement from my grandmother's funeral that you guys sent. So um, I'll always be able to remember that fondly and think of you uh, as as I do. Um, And I I just want to give kudos to um, our leadership team, our staff, and uh, our, our team leads and everything that took care of everything while Sarah and I had to abruptly get out of town and um, everything went off without a hitch and it is just I'm tickled pink to be the pastor of a church where just so many great things are happening and a lot of that is because of people like you so give yourselves a hand um, because you deserve it so thank you all so much for everything um, today we're closing out a series that we've called baggage claim where we've been taking a look at some of the things that you and I tend to carry that weigh us down, that distort our true identity in Christ, and they they end up holding us back from the life that he's called us to live and from becoming the person that he's called us to be. And it's all based on a verse out of the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, which reads this way. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. 
maybe some of you can identify with a story that I heard about a woman who was packing for vacation, and as she was looking through her closet for things to take on her trip, she discovered a blouse that was on the back of her clothes rack that still had the tags on it. She pulled it out and was looking at it and thought to herself, you know, I haven't worn this in over two and a half years, but I should probably pack it and take it with me just in case. You know, the idea behind this series is that we pack for the destination to which we're headed. And in order for us to arrive at that destination in the most efficient and effective way possible... There's some things that you and I are just going to have to lay down. There's some stuff that that can't make the journey with us. There's some things that that we're holding on to that we don't need to keep along the way. And, And in fact, if we continue to hold on to that stuff, not only is it going to delay our arrival to our destination, but it could get us off course entirely. And leading up to today, we've talked about the baggage of regret, shame, hurt, bitterness, and anxiety all as a part of this series. And if you missed any of those messages, I would highly encourage you to go back to our podcast and listen or check out our YouTube page and, uh, and, and watch along there. Um, but for today, I want to wrap up our series talking about a little different kind of baggage than any of the ones that we've talked about previously. See, the the previous types of baggage that we've discussed is is baggage that none of us really want, but we can't quite figure out how to let go of it. But the kind of baggage that I want to talk about today is, is the kind of baggage that we all love to carry around. In fact, the bigger the bag, the better for us. See, unlike the baggage from our earlier message in this series, today's baggage, it's not even something that we try to hide. We, we want the other people around us to know that we've got this baggage in our life. It's something that we will gladly show off. In fact, all you have to do is ask us about it, and we will stop whatever we're doing. We'll unzip the suitcase. We'll start to pull out the contents and show them off and let everyone take a closer look because it gives us the opportunity to tell the stories and relive all the glory. The baggage that we're talking about today is, of course, the baggage of pride the baggage of pride. And before we jump all the way in, let me start off by pointing out that not all pride is sinful. Not all pride is baggage that is weighing us down. There's, there's actually some pride um, that the Bible even highlights that, that are okay forms of pride. And, and the first one of these kinds of pride is pride in a job well done pride in a job well done. Maybe, maybe this would be like uh, pride that you feel at home when you've finished the yard work or the landscaping, or maybe you've uh, just put a, a fresh coat of wax on, on the car and it's all shining like a new penny once again. Or maybe it's, it's the kind of pride that you would feel in your workplace at your job because of the attention to detail that you give uh, for customer service. Or maybe you hit your quarterly sales goals and, 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 and you're, you're proud of the job that you've done there. Perhaps it's, it even spills over into the church and you take a lot of pride in parking cars and greeting guests or rocking babies and changing diapers or singing or playing an instrument. Pride in the way that you serve God and his people. 
And Paul writes about this in Galatians 6, 4. He says, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. So there's, there's pride in a job well done. That's, that's a good form of pride. There's another good form of pride, and that's pride in the accomplishments of our loved ones. Pride in the accomplishments of our loved ones. Some of you have no doubt recently experienced this. We just came to the end of a school year. It's the summertime, and all the children sang and rejoiced. All, none of them. They all want to go back to school, apparently. Um, we can arrange that if you would like. But at the end of a school year comes graduation, and you probably um, have experienced this before, or, or you know some kids maybe that graduated um, this, this year, and some of them graduated summa cum laude, some graduated magna cum laude, some just graduated praising the laude, but we're still proud of them. <laughs> however, the, however it happened... We're just glad that they got there and across the finish line. You know, maybe, maybe it's um, when, when your child wins a sports competition. A, a, a few days ago on uh, my time hop, it popped up when Luke uh, played Little League as a kid. And, and, um, and he won, his team won the, the championship that year. And, and he and I were standing there with the other, I helped to coach the team. I don't know a lick about baseball, but I helped to coach the team because they just needed a warm body to stand at first and be sure the kids ran around the bases the right way. But buddy, we won and we've got the trophy to show for it and I got the pictures and I'm proud of my son and his friends and uh, my mom told me um, last week uh, after the funeral I got the uh, I had the honor of doing my grandmother's uh, graveside service and my mom told me she said you know your grandma was so proud of you for following in your your grandpa's footsteps and for pastoring and for honoring God with my life and, and um, being obedient to his call for ministry. And my parents are here this morning, and I know they're proud of me. My dad texts me every single Sunday. In fact, even though he's here this morning, I will still get a text from him. I'll, I'll probably be sitting right next to him at lunch when he texts me. And he'll say, it'll say something like, great message, son. Like, even when I lay an egg and it's just a clunker, I get that message. All right, yeah, I get that text message. Great message today, son. It was awesome because I know that they are proud of me. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 7, 4. He says, I have the, go back to the, the, there you go. I have the highest confidence in you and I take great pride in you. That's what Paul is sharing with the Corinthian church. He says, you have greatly encouraged me and made me happy despite all of our troubles. So that's another good kind of pride that, that we can be prideful in a job well done. We can be prideful in the accomplishments of our loved ones. But then there's this sinful kind of pride that wants to, to creep into our lives if we're not careful. It'll be there before we know it and we'll, we'll look around and all of a sudden we've got all of these, these bags of, of pride that we're carrying around and what's Really bad about that is we kind of start to like it. A working definition of the sinful kind of pride is taking for oneself the worship, adoration, and glory that belongs solely to God. Taking for oneself the worship, adoration, and glory that belongs solely to God. This is the attitude that Lucifer had. He had the attitude that it was, it was going to be my will or I will instead of thy will. Isaiah chapter 14, we read about that. 
talking about Lucifer. He says, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. The reason that this kind of pride is so dangerous is because it's self-seeking rather than God-seeking. It's self-seeking rather than God-seeking. In Psalm chapter 10, verse 4, we read, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. And so when it comes to this sinful kind of pride, there, there is a, a, both a problem that comes with it and then a punishment that comes with it. The problem of sinful pride is shown to us in Proverbs 16, verse 5. It says, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. So the Lord detests those that are proud of heart. And that of heart, it's the Hebrew word lave. And it, it means the seat of our appetites and passions. It's, it's the driving force in, in our human cravings. And when, when we allow pride to take over, that becomes detested by the Lord. It's disgusting to him. It is a foul stench in his nostrils. That is the problem of carrying around this kind of baggage. And the problem goes further because not only is it a problem, but it says that we will be punished. And there's the punishment of sinful pride, which Proverbs 16.5 says that pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit or a proud spirit before a fall. So those of us that harbor this kind of attitude, those of us that, that continue to carry around this kind of sinful baggage, we are eventually going to get to the place where we are destroyed, where, where we will experience a great fall because of it. And we see this play out in the life and the existence of Satan. In Luke chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus himself says this. It says, Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So we look at the Isaiah passage where, where Satan has the, the mindset and the attitude that, that I will do this and I will do that and I will do all of these things to elevate myself above God most high. And then we fast forward to the New Testament and Jesus says, I saw him fall. It was a result of his pride. And you and I here many of us, we know this morning that because of Christ's work on the cross, Satan has already been destroyed. He's already experienced that destruction that Proverbs talks about for the proud person. His days are numbered and his downfall is imminent this morning. And as we wrap up our series today, this message serves as a warning to those of us who might be carrying around the baggage of pride, unable or unwilling to let it go. It's a warning to us that, that we've got to get rid of that in our life, lest we suffer the same fate as our adversary. But there's some hope that you and I have today when it comes to our sinful pride. It comes to us out of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, where it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The big idea for today is simply this. Pride distances us from God, but humility 
draws us close to God. Pride distances us from God, but humility draws us close to God. If, if pride is the sickness within, then humility is the remedy or the antidote. And so the question for us then remains, how do we identify sinful pride in our own lives? How can we tell if pride is shifted from one of those good forms or okay forms of pride into something that is sinful? And so if you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write this down for the next few minutes. I'm going to talk about three statements of sinful pride. Three statements of sinful pride. And the first statement of sinful pride is that sinful pride says, I'm better than you. Sinful pride says, I'm better than you. And at the root of this kind of pride is comparison. It's comparison. And in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 13, we read this. It says, then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. Continuing on in verse 12, he says, I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. We see the juxtaposition there between these two characters. And as this plays out, we'll see the juxtaposition um, continue throughout different places in the Bible. But we have this Pharisee who is pointing out how he's better than all the people around him. He's acting in pride, but yet this despised tax collector is coming to the throne of grace full of humility. And this story is in the scriptures because, let's face it, we love to compare ourselves to others, don't we? We love to. Maybe it's on the grounds of money, the size of our bank account, our possessions, the neighborhood that we live in, the car that we drive. Maybe it's the friends that we have. Maybe it's our followers on social media. The list could go on and on, but this life is full of the temptation of comparison. And we'll even utilize comparison to justify sin in our lives because we'll look at others and go, at least I'm not like that guy, right? I'm not as bad as he is. I mean, sure, I may cuss a little bit. I may get drunk on the weekends. I may even watch porn from time to time, but I'm not murdering anyone, so I must be okay because I'm not like that guy. And we'll use that to, to place significant weight on our spiritual piety. We'll say things like, well, I go to church every Sunday. I fast during the 21 days of prayer and fasting. I, I even tithe. And should we do those things? Of course we should. We should go to church. We should fast. We should tithe. But those things don't afford us any kind of elevated standing. 
Yet you and I, we will dream up countless ways to place ourselves in some kind of ivory tower somewhere. But the truth is, those towers are built on top of sandcastles. And we can really build it up to be something over the top and spectacular that, that we've attained or achieved on our own. But eventually, the tide is going to come in and wipe it all away. 1 John 2.17 says, And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. I remember when I was in uh, high school, there was a, a fad that went around. It was the No Fear T-shirt. Anybody remember No Fear T-shirts? I had a few of them. My favorite one said, he who dies with the most toys still dies. He who dies with the most toys still dies. Romans 3.23 puts it this way. It says that for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. See, the truth is this morning is that you and I, we are all on a level playing field regardless of our status or our achievements. Our comparison should never be with those around us. Instead, our only comparison should be with how our life stacks up against the life of Jesus Christ. He is the standard. And when we compare ourselves with him, here's what the Bible says. We will fall short every single time. So instead of looking at those around us and going, I'm better than that person, so I must be okay. We've got to take on the attitude of that tax collector. Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Sinful pride first makes the statement, I'm better than you. Number two, sinful pride says, I can handle it myself. I can handle it myself. And where the, the first root was comparison, the root here is conceit. It's conceit. In Luke chapter 15, a very uh, prominent uh, passage that many of us know, the story of the prodigal son, um, verses 11 and 12, we read this. It says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons, and the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. He said, I want to handle things myself. In other words, dad, you aren't handling things as well as I can, so you need to get out of the way and let me take over. That's the attitude, the, the driving point here. And when I, when I was thinking through this and, uh, um, you know, reading this passage and, and looking at these examples of pride, I couldn't help. This is totally a man thing. So, uh, ladies, I'm, 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 a, I'm just going to apologize right here. I'm going to, like, peel back the curtain of the man mind from it because this is something that a lady would never, a woman would never get caught dead doing this. But this is how men think. We come home from the grocery store. The back seat, the trunk, whatever, it is loaded full of groceries. And we see that as a challenge. How little trips, how few trips can I take from the car to the kitchen to unload these groceries? 
See, women, they'll just grab a few bags, you know, in each hand and walk in. They'll take several trips. Men are standing there. They are, like, calculating, you know, all the numbers and the angles and everything. It's, it's going off in our brain and everything, and we're trying to figure it out. And we'll start to grab all of the bags, and we'll have our arms full, and our fingers will be, like, the, the circulation being cut off of them, and they look like big fat sausages, you know, on the ends of our hands and everything. And we're trying to do it all in one trip because that's what a man would do. That doesn't make any sense. I realize that, but that's what's going through our head. This is a challenge, and I'm more of a man if I can get all the groceries inside in one trip. And so we'll do, and, and we'll, we'll get it out, and we'll do the thing where we, like, kick the car, you know, the door. We'll slam it shut with our foot and everything. And if you're really good, you can even reach inside of your pocket where you've got the keys, and you can push the button to, you know, lock the car and still not drop anything. But how many of you men, being honest, how many of you have tried this to prove your manliness and ended up smushing the bread, busting open the gallon of milk, and cracking all the eggs all over the driveway? Anyone want to own up to that? We've all done it. Whether you admit it or not, you've done it. All because we refuse to ask for help. Why? Because we're men and we don't need anybody's help. I can do it all by myself. That's how the story of this prodigal son ends up. He says, Dad, I don't need your help. Dad, I need you to give me what's mine. I can take care of this. And many of us, we know how the story ends. He ends up losing everything. He ends up losing everything, and he's, he's working to feed pigs, and he's even the slop that they're eating is looking appetizing to him at that moment because he's lost everything because he didn't want anybody's help. He didn't want anybody to come alongside him and guide him and direct him and show him what to do. Luke 15, the, the story continues, verses 17 and 18. It says, when, he, when the son finally came to his senses, Here's the humility part. He says, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. When he came to his senses, the son realized he couldn't do it alone. He needed the help of his father after all. We need the help of our father today. We can't do it all by ourselves. Jesus talks about this in, in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. It says, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. That sounds a lot like all those groceries, right? It sounds a lot like the baggage of pride. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Now, a yoke that Jesus talks about there, a yoke is an apparatus that, that joins together two oxen. And for us to take on the yoke of Christ, we've got to come to the place where we admit that we're incapable of doing things on our own and that we need his help. And then we choose to align ourselves with him. Because when two oxen are yoked together, they can't go in different directions. So if we are going to accept the yoke of Christ in our life, it means that we have to come to the, the, recognize, the, the recognition and, and the realization and, and, and to be able to admit, God, I, I'm, I'm giving myself over to you. I'm surrendering to you, and I'm, I'm willing to walk in the direction that you are headed. 
And when we'll do that, if we'll do that, and when we do that, what we'll soon find is that he does all the work for us. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Instead of trying to do it all of ourselves, uh, do it all by ourselves, all we have to do is merely keep in step with him. Sinful pride says, I'm better than you. Sinful pride says, I can do it by myself. Third and finally, sinful pride says, it doesn't apply to me. It doesn't apply to me. And where we first dealt with the root of conceit and the root of comparison, this, the root here is, is callousness. Is callousness. I can remember when I first started to play guitar. Um, I, I, I bought an acoustic guitar. I took some money out of my savings account and bought an acoustic guitar, and, and um, I would just sit in my room and just play the same four chords over and over and over until I couldn't play them anymore, and it hurt my fingers so badly. Like for the beginning, like because you'd push down on the strings, and man, it would hurt, and I can remember playing until they would, they would crack open and blister and even sometimes bleed. I just wanted to learn to play the guitar so badly. And over time, you develop calluses on the ends of your fingers, and that helps to create a numbing effect. It's, it, you develop an insensitivity to the pain of, of pushing down the strings. It gets to where it doesn't bother you anymore, and, and you can play for longer amounts of time, and, and your fingers no longer crack open. They no longer bleed. It no longer bothers you. And this is the same effect that happens whenever we harbor sin in our lives. Whenever we allow pride to, to stick around and, and rear its ugly head. Maybe you remember the story from the Old Testament about when David committed sin by having an affair with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, after this affair has happened and, and after David um, had had Uriah killed and now Bathsheba is pregnant with David's uh, child and, and David has moved her into the palace to live with him and he thinks everything is hunky-dory and smooth over. A prophet by the, man, uh, by the name of Nathan gets sent um, to David and uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12 records that story. It says, so the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb that he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. Continuing on in verse four, it says, one day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one that he stole and for having no pity. And then Nathan said to David, you are that man. How short-sighted of David. How short-sighted for him to not be able to see that that's exactly what he had just done by taking another man's wife and then having that man killed. David couldn't see because of the pride in his life. He was unable to see the folly of his ways. Because David figured, 
I've brought Bathsheba to live in the palace with me. I've married her to make her one of my wives. But what was lying underneath the surface is the fact that he had never dealt with the sinful attitude that still remained in his heart. And that had allowed pride to fester. And that pride caused David to become insensitive to the destructive power of sin in his life. He thought that since he was the king, since he was the one that was appointed by God and that, that he'd done everything on the outside to make things right and smooth over all the shortcomings, that that should have been enough. But it wasn't until Nathan spoke to him that David realized the error of his ways. Here's where the humility comes in. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. It says, then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. See, when we, when we respond to our pride in this manner, when, when, we, when we respond to the pride in our life with humility, we receive a promise from the Lord. It comes to us out of Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27. It says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. The Bible says, I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. See, sinful pride says, I'm better than you. Sinful pride says, I can do it all by myself. Sinful pride says, it doesn't apply to me. And that kind of pride distances us from God. But when we act in humility, it draws us close to God. Here's what Jesus said about humility in Luke 14, verse 11. He says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, one way or another, you and I will be humbled. One way or another, you and I, we will be humbled. But the truth is that choice is always better than force. If we choose to humble ourselves, then we won't be forced to humble ourselves and that's always better and today you and I we're faced with the choice of where we're going to place our trust are, are we going to place our trust in our own achievements our own abilities or are we going to place our trust in Christ are, are we going to place our trust in our own strength and our own success or are we going to place our trust in Christ here's how the apostle Paul suggests that we make that decision it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Maybe you've turned there, you've swiped there, you've held the finger there. Verses 30 and 31, it says this, Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us, with, uh, freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. If you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. 
It is through Christ alone that you and I have been called righteous. It is through Christ alone that you and I have been set apart as holy and sanctified. It is through Christ alone that you and I have been saved and freed from the power and grip of sin in our life. Without Jesus, we have nothing. But with him, we have everything. And because of Jesus, the best is yet to come. And so as I close this message, we wrap up this series. Today, I extend the same invitation to you that the Apostle Paul extended. Should we choose to boast, let us choose to boast only in the Lord Jesus and the work that he has done for us. Because he alone is good and he alone is worthy. In just a moment, the band is going to come and lead us in worship through song to seal this word in our hearts. And as they do that, I wanna invite anyone that's here this morning that would like to, to come forward and receive prayer. Maybe you're here today and you've allowed pride to cause you to see yourself better than some of the people around you. See yourself as better than than some of the people around you. You've recognized though today that you're just a sinner like everyone else and in need of God's saving grace. Or maybe you've allowed pride to convince you that you can handle this life and everything that comes your way all by yourself. But today you've recognized that you're simply desperate for more of Jesus. Or could it be that that somebody here today that pride has caused you to become callous and insensitive to the move of God in your life and you want to exchange your heart of stone for a heart of flesh and experience a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you're here and you just need God to move in a situation, a struggle. There's something that you're facing in your life and you just want the healing touch of your Heavenly Father. You need grace, you need wisdom, you need guidance and direction that's available to you this morning. So as we all stand together, if that's you, as the band leads us in song, I want to invite you to come forward for prayer. Lay down your baggage of pride and humility and repentance. Come and to receive what you need from the Lord today. He's here and he's waiting. These altars are open. As we sing, you may come forward and receive prayer. Let's worship the Lord together. You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message.